Thank you, Andy. Thank you for, and team for leading us in worship then. It was, uh, that was great. Thank you very much. The songs were really very relevant to what we're going to speak about today. So our focus today is on John chapter 14, and we're specifically looking at verse 6. Let's move this on. There we are. So we're going to start our reading actually in uh, John chapter 13, because that puts the, um, the events uh, that we, we're going to be discussing into a little bit of context. So if you've got a Bible with you, or if you've got your, um, your app, your, your Bible app, just quickly turn. We're going to start actually in, in John chapter 13, because that actually brings us into a little bit of context to the dialogue that's going on between Thomas and Jesus, and Jesus speaking to his disciples in John chapter 13, and uh, John chapter 14. And in John chapter 13, verse 1 says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's the start of where we are, because the, the reading today is very much in the last week of the earthly life of our Lord Jesus. In fact, it was in the last days and the last hours before our Lord Jesus was, was betrayed. And in chapter 13, we read that Jesus is with his disciples and that Jesus is greatly troubled. That's what the, that's what the reading says. And whilst he was there, he was with his disciples and he starts to wash their feet. So here we have a wonderful picture of our servant king, the Lord Jesus, washing his disciples, his disciples' feet. King of kings, the son of God, and there he is stooped lowly, and he is washing his disciples' feet, the job of a servant. And of course, he, he comes to Peter, and Peter is very brave, isn't he? He's very, a lot of bravado with Peter, and he says, Peter, Lord, I'm not gonna wash, don't wash my feet. And Peter says, and, and the Lord says, unless I wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And Peter says, well, it's not my feet, but wash me, wash me all over. And then after that, Jesus breaks bread with his disciples. In fact, the reading that we had before communion in Corinthians 11 is actually referring to this time in John chapter 13. And Jesus breaks bread and he says that one of you is going to betray me. And of course, Judas, he, he leaves and the disciples think, Do you know, he's, he's just gone away just to buy some food or to give some money to the poor. They didn't realize that he'd gone to betray them. And Jesus talks about his departure and Peter says to him, Do you know, Lord, I'll stick with you. I'll stick with you right to the very end. Whatever happens, Lord, I'll, I'll stick with you. And Jesus was able to say to Peter, Peter, even before the cock crows in the morning, you will have, you will have denied me three times. So we find ourselves, the scene is an upper room, Jesus with his disciples, with his followers. It's very dark. 
the mood is low, and things look very bleak. And then we get to chapter 14, and then the heading of the first verse of chapter 14 is that Jesus comforts his disciples. So let's just read, we've read, uh, let's just read uh, what's, on, what's on the screen. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then we skip a lot of verses and we get to that part where Jesus comforts his disciples in chapter 14. And this is the first verse. Do not let your, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's just pray. Lord, we just pray today that you will open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, where there's darkness, fill us with your light. Where there is mist and fog, Lord, lift that, we pray, and fill us with your presence and your light in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gadgets, eh? Okay. So, our focus today is on that very verse behind us. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it was Thomas who had asked the question. And Thomas, he, he's a funny old fellow, isn't he? Do you know, with Thomas, if a beaker was 80% full, he'd be worried because it was half empty to him. Thomas, this is the same Thomas who in a matter of days, would speak to his, his fellow disciples and say, I will not believe unless. Thomas, it seems, at this moment in time, is spiritually and emotionally lost. He says to Jesus, where are you going? But as I said, this is the same Thomas, who just in a few chapters' time, after Jesus had been crucified and after the resurrection... The disciples had seen Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. The disciples had seen Jesus because Jesus appeared to, the, to his disciples. And later on, when the disciples saw Thomas, they said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side... I will not believe it. And then a week later, as I said, Thomas, Jesus appears to the disciples again, and Thomas is there. And Jesus gently invites Thomas 
Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. And what was Thomas's response? Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. And a situation like Thomas, it might be a situation in which many of us find ourselves today. Maybe we're a bit lost. Maybe we are like Thomas and we ask, how can we know the way? As I have already mentioned, the context of our reading is that Jesus is speaking with his disciples, with his followers. He's not with the multitudes. He's not with the publicans and sinners. He's not by the well with the individuals. Jesus is with his disciples. People who already are followers of Jesus. And although this morning there might be just someone here in this, in this room who is not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe you are here because this is what you do on a Sunday. This is what the family do on a Sunday morning. Maybe you're here because you enjoy the time and the company that, that, that you find here. And, that, and that's wonderful. That's, that's really great. Maybe you're here this morning because, do you know what? It's just a bit of your own space. You can get out and you can just come here and you can sing and, and, and listen to the music and, and, and listen to the word. And that's just a little bit of your own space. But you wouldn't really say that you know Jesus. Maybe you are not even sure about the existence of God, the need to be reconciled and at peace with the God. And if so, what is the way? Don't all religions lead to the same God? Well, I'm sure that there's something that we can all agree on. And that is, despite there being a lot of good, and I'll come to that later, there is still a lot, lot more evil in the world. And God calls that evil sin. Basically, sin is disobedience to God. It could be an awful, awful crime, or it could be just missing the mark. But God says evil is sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It applies to all of us. We might not have committed awful acts, but we have fallen short. We have missed the mark. And what is the result of sin? Well, again, in the, book, in the letter to the Romans, we read in chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. In Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities that is our sin, that is missing the mark, have separated you from God. Just look at this image. It's just an illustration of what is truth. There's ourselves, there's mankind on the one side, and there's a holy and righteous and eternal, everlasting God on the other side. But in between, there's a great gap. And that great gap has been caused by our sin, by our disobedience, by our missing the mark. And that's great separation because a holy God cannot have sin in his presence. So there is the gap 
between God and mankind, a separation. So how can mankind reach and be reconciled to God? Well, the answer is, it's through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In in, uh, right at the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, the John's account, we read this. He, that is Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And you see the key words there, to as many as received him. It's to those who receive him that he gives the right to become children, members of God's family, to become children of God. And that how is how that gulf, that gap is fixed. Not because of our good works, not because of our religious activity, but it's because of what Jesus has done. In Ephesians 2 we read, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. So that verse makes it clear. It's not by works. It's not from ourselves. Our salvation. We are saved through faith. And through God's grace. I didn't quite finish the verse when I uh, read Romans 6.23 just a few slides ago I didn't quite finish the verse because the verse does say for the wages of sin is death but do you know what? It doesn't end there that verse doesn't end there the verse goes on to say but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so we've learnt a few things we've learnt that our reconciliation to God how we come to God through John 14 6 is through Jesus because Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through me we know that it is by God's grace and that it's nothing that we can do of ourselves because despite all our goodness we still miss the mark so I asked the question earlier on and it was deliberate question I said how can we reach God but do you know the great news is is that we can't and we don't have to because God reaches down to us through his son Jesus there on the cross God bridged that gap between himself and mankind through the death the blood and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus which we've remembered this morning and celebrated this morning. So we discover that our good works is not enough. It's only by grace, God's grace, that we can be saved. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting God. So even though God gave us this great gift of his son, 
the Lord Jesus to come to this earth to be rejected by his own, which we just read, but to as many as did receive him, they could become children of God. He loved the world so much that he gave, he gave his son. But there's a role for us to do as well. We must receive him. We must believe in him. And we must know that our, our works, our good works, our, our good lives, that they're not good enough. We must come to Jesus and be reconciled personally with God in order to know salvation. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we read, He that is Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things, but because of his mercy. And then in Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. I've just shown you verses of scripture which reiterate our need of salvation and how we can find the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And this is one of my favorite verses, Colossians 2, verses, well, actually verse 15, but verse 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that wonderful? Our sin and our disobedience and our separation from God nailed to the cross. And all we have to do is believe and accept him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm just going to pause a little minute before, and I promise I won't keep you long. I'm just going to pause a little minute just to pray again. Lord, we pray again that you will open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that we might see you. Where there's darkness, bring light. Where there's death, bring life. Where there is hopelessness, bring us confidence and true hope in you. And Lord, we pray for this room this morning. Lord, we pray that if there's one soul here, will one soul, Lord, respond to your calling this morning. Lord, we just pray for one soul, one soul to be saved this morning. One soul. Lord, I ask this in your name. One soul this morning to respond to you. Amen. As I explained right at the very start of my talk, the context of our reading is that Jesus is speaking with his followers, with his disciples. So in the time left to us, and I promise I won't keep you, let's apply the words of Jesus in this verse to those who are believers, to those who are followers of Jesus, those who have been reconciled to God. So first of all, in the, the verse that we're looking at, 14.6, Jesus said, I am. And that's an important phrase. And he actually uses it repeatedly in the previous chapter, uh, chapter 13. But in the context of uh, our key verse this morning, it speaks of Jesus' authority. 
We know from the book of Exodus, chapter 3 and verse 14, that I am is the personal name of God. Let me just read that without all my notes flying over. In uh, Exodus chapter 3 um, and verse 14, and it was interesting because I picked up a church Bible this morning and um, I sat down the front and I opened it up and the page was actually folded. And it was folded to this very chapter, which I was going to read anyway, or a verse from it anyway. So in chapter 3 and verse 14, this is what we read. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, he says in the end of verse 15. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. And God is actually saying he is. He's actually stating he is. Full stop. He is the eternal one who has no beginning and no end. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, when we talk about I am the way, in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it's a well-known verse to many of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And what will he do? He will make our paths straight. He will lead us in the right way, in the, in the correct way. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your understanding. Submit to him. And as we think about walking and the way, I was led to look at Psalm 23. Because in Psalm 23, there's a lot of guidance about walking and, and the way, the right way. And let's just run down these, these verses quickly to see what we can glean about the right way um, from, from this psalm. First of all, we read in Psalm 23, verse 2, that he leads. And that's what God does. Jesus said, I am the way. And he leads. In verse 3, we see that he refreshes us. And he guides us. So if we walk in his way, he will lead us and he will refresh us and he'll guide us. He is with us. And how much safer can you be than God being with you? He is with me. And just as Jesus was comforting his disciples in John 14, he will comfort us. His goodness and his love will follow. And what is the result? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus says, I am the way. We are to follow in his way. A few months ago, um, as a church series, we were looking at the book of Jonah, uh, the event in Jonah's life. And what did God say to Jonah? He said to Jonah, he said, Jonah, I want you to go. It was a command. I, you are to go. You were to go to Nineveh to preach to the city there. And for Jonah, that was an absolute nightmare. He couldn't stand the people. He really couldn't stand the people. And in fact, if you read right through Jonah, you will see that right at the very end, he still didn't like them. He couldn't stand the people. It was the last place 
that he wanted to go. But again, if you look at the journey to Nineveh, it's actually right up close to Iraq. So there's Jonah in Israel, and that's an awful journey to go on foot in those days because organized gangs and criminal gangs are something that's not new. That would have been prevalent then as well. So it's an awful journey. It's mountain, it's, it's all sorts, it's desert. What an awful journey. And when you get there, you don't even like the people, and he knows that in advance. So God calls, calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. But what does he do? He doesn't go to Nineveh. He goes down to Joppa, and he gets a boat, and he sails towards Tarshish. Now, I don't really know where Tarshish is. All I know, it's probably somewhere on the coast. Some people think that it might even be as far as Spain. So if you've been to Barcelona, my dear, if you've been to Barcelona, Sandra and I have been to Barcelona recently. If you've been to Barcelona, it could be round about there, but who, who knows? All we know, it is somewhere on the Mediterranean. So Jonah, he gets into that boat and he sails off towards Tarshish. And do you know what? If God calls us to do something, if God shows us the way, if Jesus says, I am the way, and he shows us and he guides us, do you know what? Satan will always have an alternative. And what an alternative this was for Jonah. Do I go on an awful journey to somewhere I don't like? Or do I get a boat in the Mediterranean with a gentle breeze, Joppa being a trading town at the time, plenty of fruit, sitting on the top deck with a gentle breeze going through the Mediterranean. And that's what Jonah chose. But what the devil didn't tell Jonah is what lay ahead. It was storms. And they were not just storms, they were real storms. The ship was breaking up. There was loss. So with Satan, there's loss. Because goods had to be thrown overboard to try and save the ship. There was destruction. With Satan, there was destruction because the ship was breaking up. There was chaos because the other people on the ship, they, they started casting lots. You know, the ship's breaking up. What, what, what's that going to do? And it's chaos. And then ultimately there was death because Jonah was cast over the side. With Satan, there is always an alternative. Some of you went to hear Franklin Graham yesterday. And uh, one of the phrases, one of the quotes from Billy Graham is that he says this. With Satan, there is always another boat. God wants us to follow him, to walk with him. Satan will always have an alternative. A famous English poet, Minnie Louise Haskins, she was not just a poet, she was actually an economist. She was born in 1875, and in 1908 she wrote what has become quite a famous poem. She studied and lectured at the University of London, uh, sorry, the London School of Economics. And she wrote this poem, and some of you might recognize the words because they are the words that King George VI spoke in December 1939. Britain had just uh, gone into war with, with, into a world war, and that was in September 1939. And at the end of that year, December 1939, the future looked really, really bleak. 
And King George VI took the words of the poem that many Louise Haskins have written. And these are the words. And I said to the man who had stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. And isn't that true? And just as the poem goes on for a few verses, we reach, I think it's about the third verse, and the first line really struck out to me. Because in all the, to- all the turmoil, all the doubt, all the pressure, all the evil, we, um, Minnie had written these words to the opening line of the third verse. So heart be still. And isn't that great? Because as Christians, we can have confidence in eternal and everlasting God. Jesus said, I am the way. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. So we read in that verse, Jesus answered, I am the way. But he didn't say, I am the way and, well, the truth and the life as well. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So let's just have a look at those um, other, other words just for a moment. So Jesus is not just the way, he's the truth. And in a world where truth is convenient or not convenient, that's the sort of world we live in today, where it's our political leaders or whether it's anything else. Truth is not always convenient. But truth is important. It's not just truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because if it's not truth, then it's a lie. And Satan is the father of lies. The truth. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what does the truth do? It's there in bold. And the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. But he's the life as well. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Remember with Satan, there's always another boat. There's always another way. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Praise God. I've overgone my time, so let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for the truth of these words. We want to thank you, Lord, for the account of this time so many years ago when you were with your disciples and you could say, as you comforted those, if I go, I will come again. I am the way and the truth and the life. Lord, we give you thanks this morning. Amen.